Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today. Thanks for joining Tyler and I for another episode. This is episode 124, and today we'll be chatting with Haley Griffiths, a communication specialist at Buffer. Haley started building her personal brand as a communication strategist while in school. She then launched her own consulting business while traveling before joining GetAround in San Francisco. Haley then found her dream job at Buffer and has recently helped grow their new podcast, The Science of Social Media. Haley joins us to share her story, how she approached building her own brand, how she launched her own social media consultancy while traveling, how she got into tech startups, what it's like working at Buffer, how she started writing for sites like Time and Fast Company, and much more. So once again, we'd like to welcome you to the show. Feel free to tweet us at hack to start drop us an email at hey at hacktostart.com, or share your feedback right on iTunes with a review. Good or bad, we'd love to hear from you. So let's get started. Hey, Haley. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Hi, thanks guys for having me. Yeah, we're super excited to have you on and, and to have you share your story with us. But before we dive into all the cool things that you've done, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Like, where are you from and what did you study? Yeah, great questions. So where I'm from, I was born in Ottawa, but I grew up outside of Barrie, so north of Toronto. Um, I went back to Ottawa for school. I studied at U Ottawa, doing politics and communications. That's really cool. And so from that, how did your passion for tech and entrepreneurship kind of develop? Did that come through the communication side or was that something you were already interested in? You know, it was kind of an accident. I got pulled into the tech sphere through a mentor who got me an internship. Actually, I think I saw that Aiden Mirzi was just on the podcast and that was my first job. I worked with Aiden doing PR and uh, I went between that and government. So I was convinced that because I was studying politics, I would end up working in government one day. And then I would work at a startup again, and then I tried working in government again. And eventually, it just led me to f- accept that I loved startups and to commit to that one fully. So you mentioned that a mentor got you interested in startups, and then you met Aiden and the team at Fluidware. So how did you start your career, and what were some of your first jobs from there? Yeah, well, I started with a lot of volunteering, which is how I met this mentor. So while I was in university, I did a lot of volunteering. And through this mentor, met Aiden. So my first job was with him doing public relations and all the while still volunteering. That was my third year of university. I eventually did a couple of jobs in government that were supposed to be focused on social media, but that were like a little bit more communication side, I suppose, and bouncing back into the startup sphere after that. When I graduated university, I got a couple of job offers in Ottawa, but I had just been there for four years and was really keen to travel. And I've always loved the idea of remote work. Ever since I discovered that that was a thing, I was like, this is for me. So I asked both of the job offers that I got in Ottawa if I could work remotely. Both of them said no. So I replied with no thank you. And I took off to Columbia with a one-way ticket and like one freelance client intent on growing that a lot more. Um, So that's kind of how I started in social and and startups. And then from there, I ended up, um, I guess, in San Francisco. As a new grad, how do you approach, you know, building your personal brand? How do you discover that? How do you put it out there? And, you know, how can you start shaping it into, into something that will help you build a career? That is a great question. The way I started building my personal brand was deciding what I wanted to focus on, what I wanted to be known for. And I chose 
social media and PR. And it's kind of cheating because I did choose two things, but they're, they're slightly related. So I decided what I wanted to focus on. And then I put that absolutely everywhere that is in my Twitter bio. It was on my Instagram, uh, LinkedIn. I had an about.me page. I had a website. So I, I also started creating all of those resources where someone can find me online, where I can be Googled and I showed up. I remember the first time that I Googled myself and someone else showed up. And that was very surprising to me because I have a very unique spelling of my name. But Google corrected it to someone else's name that did like horseback riding, this Haley Griffiths who does horseback riding. And I was just like, no, this can't happen. I need my own name to like, I need to show up my own name. So I became determined. I created an about.me page. LinkedIn has really good SEO. So as soon as you set up a LinkedIn and like fill it out, that's an amazing place to start. And then I made sure to use the right keywords. So I like SEO optimized my personal brand. So I would write down like, I know I want to be known for PR and social media. And I would write down like 30 keywords that would be related to that. And I would find ways to include them in all of the descriptions that I had for the work I've done on LinkedIn without being like too keyword focused. I made sure just to use variants of different things. Like if I used um, social media marketer in one, maybe I would use like digital marketer in another. And it ended up turning into inbound job hunting where like people would find me on LinkedIn because my profile was so optimized and I would get like job offers, well, interview offers from these really amazing companies. So I think for me, it was about making sure that I had all the places that someone could find me online. And then once they got to those places, once they got to my website or my Twitter or my LinkedIn, it was all very on brand. It was only content that was related to social and PR or that showed who I was professionally. It wasn't like all over the place. I wasn't like also trying to be a race car driver and also trying to be an astronaut and like at the same time talking to them about like my cooking class that I'm starting on the side. So it was just very focused. And I think that that helped the my like personal branding go a really long way. That's amazing. So, you know, after university, you launched your own communication consulting firm, taking on several different types of clients. So what was it like starting your own thing? It was a lot of work. <laughs> I think that I thought I would just be able to do social media all day and that that's how I would do the work. But that's not quite how it works when you work on your own. So a lot of my time had to be devoted to finding clients and writing proposals and making sure that my personal brand was discoverable so that clients could actually come to me and start creating funnels. So it was really like growing a mini business, whereas I thought it would just kind of be like working with within a company. So it was very different than when I thought it was it was a lot, but it was it was a ton of learning. I wouldn't have changed anything. And then how how was it like kind of starting your own thing and and venturing off to Columbia? Oh, that was that was so much fun. That was um, <laughs> I had no regrets. I just wanted to freelance and I kind of assumed that the clients would come and that's definitely not how it works. So I was grateful that Columbia is a very cost friendly place to live. Had I been staying in Canada, it might not have been as possible at the beginning. So it was I used a couple of different websites to find freelance clients and I used like online marketing myself, I guess. And it was amazing. I ended up growing it to the point where I could no longer do all of the work on my own, which I think is ideal. I ended up hiring my sister <laughs> and she helped me with a lot of the social media as well. That's amazing. So how did you get a couple of your first uh, clients? Well, my first ever client, I was still in university and I received it through a direct message on Twitter. So because my personal brand was has always been very focused around like social media, public relations. Um, but it also said in my Twitter bio at the time that I speak French. And this was an agency in Ottawa that needed someone to do some pitching in Quebec and they didn't have anyone on their team that spoke French. So this was my first introduction to the idea that you could work for a company for, you know, a couple of months, a couple of hours a week doing 
PR or whatever it might be and work remotely for them as a freelancer. And so that was my first ever client that through that agency, I kept doing a little bit of work with them. And then from there, I found out that there were websites where people just posted when they needed freelancers all the time. So at the time it was elance.com, but they've since rebranded to upwork.com and people post the kind of jobs that they're looking for. And so I just got really good at writing proposals, recycling proposals. Um, It was kind of funny for some time, my entire job was editing LinkedIn profiles for CEOs. And I still get CEOs that email me and they're like, can you update my LinkedIn profile? And I'm like, I'm a little, I'm a little busy. (laughs) I would love to help you. So I I kind of found like all sorts of odd jobs um, that I could do within PR, social marketing on Upwork now, I guess. That's really awesome. So fast forward a little bit um, and you ended up joining the team at GetAround. So for those who may not know, can you tell us a little bit about them and how you ended up creating that opportunity to work there? Yeah, GetAround is awesome. It's peer-to-peer car sharing. So just like Airbnb for cars, you can book a car on your phone, walk up to it, unlock it with your phone and drive away. It's the future. And I loved working there. So the funny thing is that the GetAround founders are from Ottawa. Sam Zaid and Jessica Scorpio. And I'd met them through my network in Ottawa. And when I graduated, I got in touch to see if they were looking for anyone on the marketing team. They weren't at the time. They very soon after did their Series B, and then they got back in touch with me. So it was a longer job application process, which happens at startups all the time. And so I just kind of like got back, kept in touch with them after meeting them in Ottawa and got back in touch later. And that's how uh, that's how I wound up in San Francisco. So with Get Around, were you also working remote or were you at their physical office in San Francisco? I was at their office in San Francisco, but they did have a really nice remote work policy where once a quarter for a week, you could go work remotely somewhere. So I would use that to go see family in Canada. I used that once to work from uh, my friend's startup office in Iceland. It was a lot of fun. So they had a really cool policy, even though we were based in San Francisco. That's amazing. What was your day-to-day role like and what were some of the projects you had the chance to work on? Yeah, I did a lot of communications in general. So PR around different announcements that we had, uh, social media. I worked on speaking engagements with the founders. Some of the projects that I had a lot of fun working on were city launches. While I was at Get Around, we were expanding quite a bit. So expanded to Washington, D.C. and to Chicago um, and relaunched in Portland. And I was really grateful to have the opportunity to fly in and uh, essentially fly in and throw parties and work on the community locally and then uh, go back to San Francisco. So it was kind of neat for me to be able to see lots of the states that way. It's super cool. So, So how do you approach building brand awareness campaigns, both online and offline? And what are some of the biggest mistakes you've seen others make on this front? That's a good question. Uh, The way that I did it with Get Around was using social media as a place to talk about all aspects of a brand. So not just sales at all. Get Around wasn't just car sharing, but, you know, we could talk about the future of cities. We can talk about sustainability. We can talk about driverless cars. So incorporating all of these different elements that are the brand into what we talk about that aren't necessarily just a funnel for sales. So really treating social as something that is social and trying to connect with people. I think that was probably one of the biggest things that we did that made a difference for brand awareness. One of the biggest mistakes I think I've seen would be maybe focusing on measuring more than adding value. Measuring is very important, but if you aren't interesting on social and if you aren't already adding value to a person's day, then there's not as much to measure. 
And then, like I mentioned, trading social media like sales is probably another big mistake. So just selling all the time, whereas I think I see it a lot more like a community. And that's why it's a great place to do campaigns around brand awareness. So tying all that together, what was it like getting a new city ready for get around? Yeah, that's a good question because it's always tough. Uh, Other cities had a lot more competition, whereas in San Francisco, we had a bigger market share, I would say. So some of the things that we were focused on was making sure that the posts that we were writing and sharing were getting in front of people in that audience, in that city, figuring out, you know, what blogs or what publications people would read in that city, joining different Facebook groups and like getting to be a part of the conversation there. So like really, these aren't all scalable things that I would say that you can do, but that's kind of what you have to do when you start in a new city is do the things that don't necessarily scale, but that require a lot of hustle. And I think that we had a lot of fun doing that kind of stuff at Get Around and and doing it in uh, all the different cities that we were in. Absolutely. It sounds super cool and like a, like a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, obviously the team is, is still doing well and we're all wishing them uh, well, especially uh, since they're originally from Ottawa, like you mentioned. Yeah, it's really it's really cool to see so many Canadian startups doing well. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of cool startups, you've recently joined the team at Buffers. So can you tell us a bit more about, you know, what that process was like and what the team and culture are like? Yeah, definitely. It was very hard to leave Get Around because they are such a cool team. Like you mentioned, um, Buffer is my dream job. So the only reason I would have left, I've been following Buffer's journey for a very long time, I guess, since early 2012, actually. So about four years now. And I've I've just always admired their company values, transparency, and the product. I've used the product when I was freelancing. I would have all my clients using Buffer. So I managed social media for Get Around and I was in Buffer every day. And uh, every now and again, I would just kind of like go check the Buffer. We call it the journeys page, but so the the career page. And I at one point saw a post for Press Crafter and I was like, I check all of the boxes for this role. So I was very excited. I spent a whole weekend writing my application and I heard back really soon. So the process is, of course, all remote. I had three interviews. The first one is was very much focused on kind of like who you are as a person, how you think about things, a little bit of culture and a little bit of like examples in the role, but not diving in too deep to any of those areas. The second one was a lot more diving into the role and whether or not you have the skills and the capability to do it. And the third one was all culture because Buffer focuses on culture so much. It's a really big part of the interview process. And um, the culture is, since that's a question that you asked, all about positivity, transparency, self-improvement, gratitude. It's a really interesting it's really interesting to work at a company that focuses so much on core values and amazing to find a place where my own personal values already lined up with the values of the team as well. So it's been really amazing joining the team. Um, I feel like I just joined a team of like 60 people that I wanted to be best friends with. And then now we're at 80 people. So it's a lot of a lot of amazing people to be working with every day. Oh, that's really cool. And how do you guys so since the whole process was remote and Buffer is like, you know, a remote first company, how do you guys stay on the same page and still manage to continue growing and continue getting things done? Uh, We do a lot of video calls. So we use zoom.us for that. We're in Slack quite a bit. We use discourse. So just in terms of like team communication tools, I think we have to be really on top of it and like really moving forward on all of our projects, especially since we aren't all in the same office. So you have to be, I guess I would say like motivated to move forward and like persistent and just like continuing to work at things. We have a lot of calls. Brainstorming is definitely tough when you're not together, um, but we've just find like different ways around it, whether it's having calls or like jotting down our thoughts in a paper document. 
And then once a year, we all get together in person. And that's a good opportunity for a lot of team building and collaboration, brainstorming and getting to know each other a little bit better. So it's been really interesting to work with a team where just recently I met some people that I talk to every single day, but I hadn't met them. And I've, I've been with Buffer for almost a year now. So it's, uh, it is, it's really funny. Yeah, absolutely. It's so cool. And it sounds like, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. So kind of elaborating on some of the things you've mentioned, what does your day-to-day role look like there at Buffer? And what are some of the things you've had a chance to uh, work on since, since joining? So a lot, another very communications oriented role. Uh, I do a lot of email. We have transparent email, which is, can be overwhelming. So everyone can see everyone's outgoing email at the company. So we have very strict filters, but then in addition to seeing everyone's um, emails at the company, I get a lot of press emails. So because we are transparent, people can find whatever they want to know about us online, whether it is our salaries, they're all in a spreadsheet online or our revenue term sheets, how equity works at Buffer, it's all online. So I get a lot of press emails about transparency, press emails asking to interview the founders. So I do all of our, our inbound press, but then I also do all of the pitching. So when we're coming up with a new policy, we recently implemented a minimum vacation instead of just unlimited vacation. And so bringing that to different outlets and then also pitching different product and feature launches, which has been a lot of fun. So coordinating with the team on how we're going to communicate this to the world and to our community. I also work on syndication. So we write a lot of content on the Buffer blog and um, we give it to several different outlets, Entrepreneur, The Next Web, Inc. And so like working on getting the content to them so that it can reach more people. I do speaking engagements with the founders as well. So helping set them up at either like the next web is a one that we've been involved with a lot this year or any other like fireside chats, et cetera. And we just started our own buffer podcast actually. So I'm very lucky to be one of the hosts of that podcast. So my day is a combination of all of the above. I would say that I do spend quite a, t- a bit of time in email, which is unique. A lot of people at buffer stay away from, stay away from email and might use other methods of communication. A lot of the time doing interviews and then Lots of calls. So because we are remote and we can't just like walk around an office and tap each other on the cho- on the shoulder when you have an idea, you have to be very intentional about communicating and making sure that you're all on the same page. We also set time aside to call just to catch up with each other because, again, we won't run into each other in the morning or go for coffee with each other. So if you want to catch up with someone, like it's good to spend 10, 15 minutes or 30 minutes on a Zoom call. So uh, a mixture of calls and emails. Right now I'm on the East Coast. So It's interesting working with people in all different time zones. When I was on the West Coast, I would wake up and everything was already happening. Uh, Europe was like pretty much done their day. East Coast was awake. So I would wake up in San Francisco and start jumping on calls immediately. And then the afternoon was really quiet. So I would do more focused work. And I was in Europe for a little while and it would just be the opposite. Like no one was online in the morning. So I would do all of my focused work in the morning and calls in the afternoon. But the East Coast, it's all been kind of spread out. I'm still trying to figure out what the best system might be. My calls are just kind of like sporadically placed sometime in the afternoon right now. Um, so maybe there is no answer to that exact <laughs> system, but it changes a lot. Yeah, for sure. Just stuck in the middle doing work all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it, that can be hard. That's probably one of the biggest challenges with remote work is that like my Slack is always on because, you know, one of my colleagues on the marketing team is in Singapore. So it's he's online at, at times that I am sleeping and I'm online at times that he's sleeping. So it could be a real challenge for sure to like shut off. And it's turned into 
my devices are my office, not that I have a physical space. So I actually stay away from my laptop on the weekends so that I can disconnect. And I try to turn off notifications on my phone as much as I can, uh, because my devices have turned into like my place of work. That's a really interesting way of putting that. I haven't heard that. That's pretty cool. So one thing I wanted to dive in a little bit more is you mentioned doing a lot of coordination with different teams, especially around getting press announcements ready. And Buffer's done a lot of that recently with, uh, you know, a ton of new features like the much awaited Instagram features. So what's a typical product launch like at Buffer and how do you pull all that information together for for product launches? Even before I get to something, a lot of the time are a lot of the times our happiness heroes, so our customer service will be very involved in relaying different product signals that we're getting either through social media or by email to the product team. Product will take it to engineering and start developing it. And that's kind of when I will get wind of it first. And so it's kind of hard being on the marketing team and knowing what is coming. I get very excited and I want to talk about it immediately, which is definitely not what you can do. So it starts with kind of trying to start a deadline for when the feature will be rolled out. Yeah. And then we we have a lot of different people on the team to do coordinating with. So we'll do an email out to everyone. We do a lot of our social media marketing and putting out a post on the blog and might do a buffer chat on that. We have a very active Twitter chat every week coordinating with happiness to make sure that, you know, we're sending people to the right places and that we're sending out the email at a time when we have a lot of people in the inbox that are ready to answer. So just kind of like making sure that everyone on the various teams is coordinated and ready for this one day, uh, especially since we're all in different time zones, we're all working from home or from co-working spaces, just so that it's all communicated very clearly. That's actually one of our buffer values is to communicate with clarity, because a lot of things can be lost in translation. And it's not good to assume that people might know something. So just making sure we're all on the same page, really. Yeah, for sure. It's really cool. And then the other thing I wanted to chat quickly about was uh, just the the podcast that you mentioned. So I don't know how I missed this, but uh, do you want to tell us a little <laughs> bit more about the podcast that was launched and what it's like hosting that? Yeah, definitely. I'm so excited that we started a podcast. So it's called The Science of Social Media, and we interview different social media marketers every week. So I've been very lucky to have some incredible chats with people like the director of social media at NASA and a professor of, she does personal branding at um, HEC and Duke University. So some very cool people we've also had, like the VP of HubSpot on. It's been really amazing. So we launched that Oh, gosh, this was a couple of months ago now. So September 8th, very recent. <laughs> well, it was a couple months ago. Time huh? flies. <laughs> I guess it is a couple months ago now. We just reached, we're very excited. We just reached last week 100,000 downloads total. Um, so it's been it's been a blast. I'm one of the hosts. Uh, our social media manager, Brian, is really leading the charge in terms of editing and putting together the calendar. And then we also have our director of marketing, Kevin, who does interviews. So the three of us cycle through interviews, which is fun so that we can get a lot more done in a short period of time. And we're lucky to um, have been able to have some amazing guests so far. So it's been really fun reaching out to them and chatting social media. Everyone has a totally different take. Yeah, absolutely. It's so cool. I love, uh, I love the, 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 I guess the breadth of guests that you guys are having on the show. You know, from NASA to Facebook to the next web. It's, it's awesome to see uh, you guys really zone in on that and and get to to have their take on you know how to how to do social at these different companies and in their different industries. Thank you. It's been really fun. I think that's something that we get a lot of feedback for is that people are interested in learning how to do social media across industries because it is quite different. And we uh, have a lot more experience with doing social media for a software company than with anything else. So people are like, oh, I want to know how to do it for like 
healthcare or how do you do it in government? Um, how do you do it if you're a teacher? So it's been really fun to chat with a few different people and get insights there. NASA is like, their social media is so cool. They have over 500 accounts. I was like, how do you do this? But they just like, they are very empowered as a team to start an account if you're working on a very public project. So it, it was really fun to chat with him. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So earlier you mentioned that, you know, some of the some of the work that you do on a daily basis is coordinating stories for uh, different press outlets or reporters who are looking to speak with you guys about things. Um, but previous to, you know, being at Buffer, some of your own personal writing has been featured in places like Time Magazine or Fast Company or the Huffington Post. So can you tell us a bit more about how you started your own writing career and how did you land, you know, some of the opportunities to be featured in those in those kind of places? It started very much from the perspective of I've always loved reading about personal branding and I, I wanted to share my own journey. So the first place that I started writing about personal branding is it's called Lavo League and it's like a professional network for women online. I'd written a couple of articles for them and like very accidentally I learned about syndication this way because they had a syndication partnership with Fast Company and with Time. And so a piece that I wrote with them ended up on Fast Company. And then the same piece ended up on Time. And that was kind of like when syndication clicked in my mind. And I was like, you can take one piece of content and multiple places will republish it. And so that was very cool. So that's how I guess I got my start just realizing that you can email someone. I just had a friend reach out to me this morning and she asked me how I started writing for Huffington Post. <laughs> and I told her that I, I emailed Ariana at HuffingtonPost.com. And um, I just offered her I just offered her a piece that I hadn't written elsewhere. And I'm I'm sure it was an assistant that responded. I was still really excited to get a response. Um, but I just I just emailed and offered them a piece and they sent me up as a writer. So all of the pieces on travel that I write go on Huffington Post now. So it, it just kind of like started small on my own personal blog, accidentally spiraled into time and fast company. And then um, I guess I learned a little bit more about writing then. So I started being more comfortable sharing my pieces and, and pitching them to bigger outlets. The The PR person in me is very comfortable cold pitching uh, ideas to reporters. So throughout your career, you've done a lot of traveling, as you mentioned throughout the episode, and you've been volunteering for a group called Girl Gone International. So how has travel shaped you as a person and young professional? And what has been some of your favorite spots to visit? I have always loved travel. I'm from a very small town, the you know, the small place north of Toronto that has 300 people in it. It's like farm, farm country. And I can remember when I met a French exchange student in my neighborhood. I have no idea how she ended up in this neighborhood, the poor girl. Um, but this was the first time I was like 14 when I realized like, you can leave your country. You can go to other countries. There are a lot of other cool places out there. So I started by going to Germany on a school exchange. And then after that, I went to Norway. And I just have continued traveling throughout university. If there was a reading week, I was in Shanghai. Like I was just anywhere that I could be that was not home. And I think that travel has opened my mind to new ideas and ways of doing things. Travel has made me see a lot less barriers in the world and a lot more opportunities. And that's definitely shaped my career a lot. I think in terms of your second question, some of my favorite spots to visit. Colombia is definitely very close to home for me. I spent in total six months there and it's amazing. I definitely highly recommend Colombia. And um, let's see, what were some other... I recently went to Whitehorse in the Yukon and Canada is awesome. I'm very excited <laughs> to explore Canada more. Yeah, it's funny how we always want to get out of Canada, but we always you know, don't appreciate what we have in our in our 
on our side and, and it's such a beautiful country and I'm, I'm the same way. I've traveled so many places, you know, around the world, but I've never really traveled west of Ottawa besides Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it's really funny because this year has been, you know, once I came down from like the remote work excitement and I traveled and changed countries every two weeks, I decided that I should see more of Canada. So early next year, I'm starting in Whitehorse and like slowly making my way back across the country through like Victoria and Edmonton and maybe Winnipeg. But I am just so excited about Canada. When I was in Whitehorse, I was like, you don't need a visa to work here. Like it was just like mind blowing <laughs> to me because I've always worked in places or lived in places where it's like kind of a hassle. You have to set up a bank account. You have to get a visa. And there is just so much ease in being in your own country. And I definitely appreciate that a lot more now. You know, for sure. So, so throughout the episode, you've mentioned a bunch of really cool apps that you use on a day to day basis. But has there been something that you've downloaded recently that you're you've fallen in love with or or, or really obsessed about? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm super into productivity and habits. So I've always been on the lookout for good to do list apps, which kind of sound boring. I know a lot of people use pen and paper, but because I travel so much, like that just gets lost. It does not stay with me. So I recently fell in love with Todoist. It's a to do list app and like so in love with it. This is how I know when I'm hooked that I like I pay for it now. It's a really good app. <laughs> That's always the threshold. <laughs> yeah. When I'm willing to give them my credit card information, like this is a very good app. <laughs> so that's been one of my favorites. I have it across all my devices. I've been using it to organize my life. That's awesome. So, so what does Todoist do differently than other to-do apps that are out there? I think the main thing for me was that I wanted to make sure that it would sync across like web and mobile really seamlessly. And this sounds very simple, but I had a lot of issues with this. Even Trello, which is amazing, I've seen it sync very slowly to the mobile version. And I want to be able to update it on any platform that I currently have in my hands than like see it somewhere else. And the name escapes me. There's this like very expensive, amazing to do software. It's like maybe I can send you guys the link and it can actually be referenced. But it is like an expensive version where you can organize your you can organize your life into like different projects and you can tag things. You can see only one task at a time or only what you're doing today. So I think that was important to me to be able to see only the tasks that I'm doing today, to be able to label things based on project and set reminders for them. So it's just it's also a very clean interface. I don't really like dark backgrounds. It just like checked all the boxes for me. You know, that's really cool. I'm always on the lookout for to-do apps. I used to be a huge fan of Wonderless, and then, mm. um, I don't know, I veered away. I'm, I'm in I'm in Asana now. <laughs> Asana is I love Asana. a beastly app um, as far as the, all the components that they have, but just having a very bare-bones to-do app is also a really good uh, second app to have on your, on your phone or your laptop. Yeah, the f funny story, we used Asana at GetAround, and then we do not use Asana at Buffer. <laughs> but I loved Asana so much that I just set up like a project for myself. And it was just like a one person communications team. And I was just assigning all of these projects to myself. That's actually when I decided that I just needed I needed less functionality than Asana. Like Asana is definitely for teams. And I was sitting there and like assigning all these tasks to myself. I was like, okay, no, this doesn't make sense anymore. But I wish if there was like Asana for one person and then Asana for teams, I would totally be on the Asana for one person version. <laughs> That's awesome. So do you have any recommendations on just great content that you've come across lately, like either a book, video, or a blog post? Oh, definitely. I have been very into podcasts recently. I might name a couple of podcasts. I am obsessed with Malcolm Gladwell's Revisionist History, and I'm bummed that he only put out one season because I would listen to it every single day. Another great podcast 
for creative entrepreneurs is Being Boss. And they have some really cool topics on there. And I'm trying to think, uh, James Clear has a really cool article where he does book summaries. And I think he sent it out in his email list recently. I read all of his stuff on habits. It's it's really wonderful. But he did like 40 books in three sentences or less. So I read that blog post and I felt like I just learned a lot <laughs> very quickly. And there's also a really great article I read recently related more to career progress on first round. It's actually by the Uber product lead. And she talks about harnessing happiness to build your career. So it was it was a very interesting read. In general, I love James Clear, Marie Forleo, Paul Jarvis, um, and Leo Baboda from Zen Habits are all amazing blogs that I have in my feedly all the time. Awesome. Those are some great resources. We'll link to as many of those as possible so other people can check it out <laughs> or at least, you know, subscribe to the newsletters and stuff like that. But yeah, James Clear has uh, has some good stuff all the time. He's super cool. So to cap this episode off, do you have any last thoughts or personal models that you live by and you think other people should know about? You know, I was just chatting about this one today with my Buffer colleagues, and I think I didn't realize how much it's really shaped who I am and how I've gone about my career. Um, there was this concept that Warren Buffett has given out a couple of times, so it's an exercise that he created, where you list, and I do this every year, at the beginning of the year, I'll list 25 things that I want to accomplish in 2016 or 2017. And then I'll pick the top five, like the five that I really, really, really want to do. And then the other 20 go on an avoid at all costs list and you give them no time and energy. And one of my colleagues has been doing this during the week. He'll write down 25 things he wants to do during the week and then he'll just focus on five. So I haven't quite done it for my week, but I've always done this for the goals that I'll set annually. And I think that that level of like intention and focus has really helped me move forward in my career a lot more than I thought it would. It's awesome. It's really cool. It's a great way to uh, end the episode. Haley, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It was amazing to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Well, that's another episode of Hack to Start. Thanks for listening, and we hope to have you join us again soon. Remember to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook and on the web at hacktostart.com. We honestly couldn't do it without your awesome support, so please leave us a review on iTunes. Until next week, and we hope you enjoy the show.